If you would, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're now on the fifth chapter of this book. Ephesians chapter 5. It's been a good book, hasn't it? We've seen, uh, we've ascended from the lowest point, dead in our trespasses and sins. We've ascended to the highest of the heights, on the summit of the mountain of salvation that God has provided to us. It is by grace that we're saved, and we've seen that grace displayed in the book of Ephesians. We've seen an unassailable divide conquered by Christ. There was hostility between ethnicities, particularly the Jews and the Gentiles, and Jesus Christ brought peace where peace could not be found. He abolished the law of commandments and has made us one body in his name. And so we, the church, are united. We are under Christ. And now we get to the practical part of Ephesians where we're to live out our faith and community together. So these are our plural commands that we've been walking through. Last week we saw the put off, put on principle. We put Christ before us and we put off all those bad things that don't look like Christ and we put on good things, righteousness, to become more like him. And then we come to chapter 5, and the practical continues. Very practical commands for everyday life, especially the Christian life. Now, uh, my five-year-old daughter, Joelle, she's learning to write her letters. She's learning not only how to identify them, but how to write them. And where do you start... When learning how to write letters, well, you start with what some of you kids are doing today, tracing the dotted lines. Is that right? You start by tracing the form of the letter. And kids, let's be honest, when you start, it doesn't look so good, right? Your lines are maybe a little bit crooked, zigzaggy, you know, you're not really following the form of the letter, but over time, practice, 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 practice your form begins to conform to the image of that letter. Here's the point that I'm getting at. The Christian life is one of tracing. It's one of tracing. We trace the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek to live our life in imitation of Him. And when we start, maybe the lines are a little bit crooked, maybe we're a little bit off the form, but as we grow day after day, we begin to conform into his image. We begin to look like him, to imitate him in our lives. So you're in Ephesians chapter 5. This same thought continues. This passage commands us to trace Jesus, to follow the lines, to pattern our lives after him. Again, you know, it's the Christian life simplified is place the Lord Jesus Christ in front of you. The world behind you. No turning back. Observe him, study him, learn him, and then determine what needs to be put off and what needs to be put on to become more like him. He is our ultimate model. So look down with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and two today says this therefore be imitators of God 
as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Two verses, two commands, two points for us this morning. Before we get there, let me open our time in prayer. Father, we ask today that you would make us more like you. Help us to imitate you, to walk in the way that you walked when you became a man and lived among us. You gave us a perfect model, an example to follow. Help us to become like Jesus, to imitate him and to love as he has loved us. We give our our growth, all the glory for any growth that happens in our life to you, Lord. Thank you for saving us, and thank you for sanctifying us, for growing us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Point number one, imitate God. Point number one, imitate God. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be or become imitators of God as beloved children. Now this is a lofty and high command. Think about it. Become an imitator of God. William Barclay calls it the highest standard in all of the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it the highest level of all doctrine and practice. It is the ultimate ideal. This isn't shoot for the moon. This isn't shoot for the stars. This is shoot for someone outside of our universe. Become like God. No one higher to follow. There's no greater example that we can know. Become like God. Trace His character. I mean, think for a second about God and His character attributes. Let's think about this for a minute. We can only apply the communicable attributes. That is the attributes that we can follow, not the incommunicable attributes, which is those that are just distinct to God in in and of Himself. He is Uh, self-sustaining, the holy being who created all of the universe. We can't become like him in all ways, but we can follow the communicable attributes. Let's just go through a few. My theology professor, by the way, he doesn't like to call them attributes. Dr. Mook likes to call them perfections because this isn't like just attributes of a, of a person, but this is, these are the perfections of God. Faithful. God is perfectly faithful. That is, that he is absolutely reliable. Be like him. God is good. God is the sum source and standard of all that is wholesome, virtuous, and beneficial. Be like him, Paul commands us. God is merciful. He is unconditionally sympathetic toward the misery and distress of his people. Be like him. Holy. 
God is holy. God is undeniably separate from all that is evil and corrupt in sin. Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Christian, be like him. Become imitators of God. Now, these are just a few of his attributes or his perfections. We could spend a million lifetimes working on just these and will never attain his perfection. Yet, this is our command. This is our endeavor to become imitators of God, to become like him. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice, you don't do this to become a child of God. You do this because you have been made a child of God. Very important distinction. You don't try to do the right thing, do good works to become a child of God. That won't work. The only way you become a child of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. But because you're a child of God, you imitate your father. You remember how you became a child of God? We walked through it in Ephesians. Why don't you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. How did we become a child of God? How do we become beloved children? Look at Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You remember in chapter 2, we were wandering in this different world away from God, dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not your works, by grace. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. So then, because of this grace, because of this miracle of regeneration, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and what? Members of the household of God. Children of God. Go over to chapter 3, 14. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Finally, the basis of our unity is that we, look at chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This is who you are, Christian. You are a child of God, not by your own works, 
but by Christ's work. Therefore, because of that, be an imitator of God. Become like your father. You know, I poke fun at my wife uh, when our kids are nosy. And I say, you know, where do you think that came from? Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? And then she'll respond, better nosy than picking the nosy. Touche. Where do you think they got that from? Dr. Jim Boyce writes, just as physical genes lead a child in the direction of the parent's chief characteristics, so should the Christian's spiritual genes lead in the direction of the moral character of God. In other words, you have new genes, Christian. You've been given new DNA. You're in a workmanship, an, a new creation in Christ. Therefore, just as your spiritual genetics have been modified, you will emulate and imitate your new father. You will become like him. The character of the father will reflect in the image of his beloved sons and daughters. It's in the genes. Let me ask you, does your character reflect that of your father? Is it traceable? My mom would often tell me, growing up, you remind me so much of your uncle, her brother. My dad would say, it's obvious you are a Parker or you have the Parker genes. That's my mom's maiden name. I guess because of my mannerisms, the way that I do things, I look like my grandpa Bud or my uncle Lane a lot of Parker in me. Let me ask you, if someone were to observe your life, observe your attitudes, your words, the things that you do, is it obvious that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High? Is it traceable? Do people see him in you? Do they see him in you? You've heard the saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Well, Jesus, who was the image of the invisible God, he makes a stronger statement. He says in John 14, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Imitation is the sincerest expression of love. In other words, if you love Christ, you will imitate him and follow in his footsteps. You will become like him. I'm reminded of Jesus' conversation with the, his disciple Peter right before he ascended. They were walking on the shore together, and do you remember what he asks him? He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. You remember that? Again, he asks him, Peter, do you love me? He responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, tend my sheep. A third time, says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds in grief. He goes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, again, feed my sheep. Did you ever think about what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is passing the baton to his disciple and saying, if you love me, then you will do as I have done. You'll 
imitate me and become a shepherd of people. A shepherd. Jesus did a very similar thing in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, that was when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He washes their feet. Jesus is preparing for the Passover meal. It's a big deal in Jewish culture. And as everybody sits around the table, Jesus takes off his outer garments and he puts on an apron, the clothing of a servant, and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes every single one of his disciples' feet. That was not a job for the teacher, not a job for the rabbi. That was the job of the slave. And Jesus becomes a slave to serve his disciples. And then he says this in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done to you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, very important. For I give you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Imitate me, Christ says, and become a servant. Here's the point. If you love Christ, and if you're a child of God, you will become more like him. You will imitate him in your life. And this is the ultimate ideal, the highest command to reflect the character of God. And we saw that character in real life, in tangible form, when Jesus came to this earth and lived the perfect life among us. So you want to grow as a believer, open to the Gospels, read the life of Christ, and imitate him. Become like him. Become like the image of the invisible God. This is... An everyday, spend your life, every hour committed task for the Christian. Every morning we could wake up and say, I want to grow and become more like Christ. Commit to that. It is a worthy and beneficial endeavor. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And one of the chief characteristics of God that we need to imitate is Love. Love. That's point number two, is walk in love. Now, we're back to this, you know, most epic characteristic of God. That is his love. We've talked about it. We've talked about the difference between God's love and our love, the world's love. Two different loves. Two different loves entirely. And we are commanded to obviously walk in God's love, agape love. So look at verse 2. It says, and walk in love. There's the command. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul continues this theme of walking. He doesn't simply say, love one another. He doesn't simply say, you know, hey, try to grow in love. He says, walk in love. What does that tell us distinctively? It's a theme of walking that Paul has in this entire epistle. He said back in chapter 2, you were once dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You're on a different path. 
walking in a different direction. He says in chapter 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles did. And finally here in 5.1, we see walk in love. We'll see it in the, in, as this chapter continues, walk as children of light, verse 8. And 15, look carefully then how you walk. Paul talking about walking. Why? Why this emphasis on walking? Well, because this is to be a lifestyle. Your walk represents your life, the direction you're moving in life. Your walk includes your attitudes, includes the things that drive you. It includes the things that you say, the direction you're going. This is to be love in action, in other words. Love in action. Walk in love. Why must the Christian's walk be marked by love? 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because He first loved us. The Christian's life ought to be marked by love because you have been marked by the love of Christ. You have experienced His love, therefore you also ought to love one another likewise. Walk in love just as, the text says, Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. The ultimate demonstration and motivation of love is Jesus. The epitome of His love is His sacrifice. That's God's love. Remember, it is sacrifice, selfless, unconditional. He gave Himself up. It's what the text says. Do you see that? He gave Himself up. Galatians 2.20, Paul says the same thing. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, it's one thing to send a gift from afar. To send a gift in the mail to somebody. It's a whole other thing to give the gift to someone in person, isn't it? A little more meaning behind it. It's one thing to volunteer another person to give the gift for you. It's another thing to be the person who gives the gift or serves another It's one thing for us to support the troops who put their life on the line every day for our freedom. It's another thing to be a troop who puts your own life on the line for others' freedom. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus didn't send a gift from afar like a distant relative. He didn't send the angels to do the dirty work of accomplishing the salvation of his people. He gave himself up. He set aside his own wealth in heaven, glory unimaginable, and he stepped down to earth, taking the form of a slave, Philippians 2 says, and he laid his own life down for our freedom. This is love. This is the epitome of love. It's self-sacrifice. It's giving yourself up. Jesus said in John 15, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. So Christ's love is laying aside your pride. Christ's love is laying aside your rights. Christ's love is laying down your comforts, your wants, your desires, your time. Christ's love is laying down your very life for others. That's Christ's love. And Christian, the same love that you are commanded to walk in. It's a high command, a high standard of love. It says here in the text that Christ's love and his giving himself up for us was a fragrant sacrifice, or a fragrant offering, excuse me, and sacrifice to God. You have this picture of the smoke coming up from a sacrifice and going, reaching heaven and pleasing God. After the flood subsides in Genesis chapter 8, Noah built an altar and he offered burnt sacrifices to God in worship. And it says in Genesis 8.21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. See, the sacrifice of Noah was a propitiation. Do you know what that word means? It's a long word. Propitiation, meaning that the sacrifice of Noah, it pleased the Lord and appeased or withheld his wrath. Later in Exodus, the Lord institutes the sacrificial system. Do you remember that? He provides an entire structure of ongoing, perpetual animal sacrifices and burnt offerings. And if they followed his instructions, he said the sacrifices would be a propitiation. They would be a pleasing aroma before the Lord. And he would withhold his wrath. Now, we know these sacrifices were perpetual, again, continuous, but they were ultimately ineffective. The book of Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats could not, cannot atone for sin. They were a shadow of some sacrifice greater to come. We needed a better sacrifice. We needed an ultimate and permanent propitiation. We need God to be satisfied, to be pleased with a sacrifice permanently, ultimately, and finally. Look at 1 John 4, 10 through 11. It's on the screen. This is love. You're looking for love? Look no further. This is it. The scriptures speak. God speaks through his word and says, this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. A pleasing sacrifice was made, friends. There was a final offering that sent smoke to heaven and pleases God forever. It was the final sacrifice, the propitiation of Jesus Christ when he gave himself up as a sacrifice. That is the only thing that can please God. That is the only way that we can have our sins forgiven, atoned for, is trusting in Jesus and Him alone. And that display of love 
you don't bring your good works to the table. You don't say, ah, you know, I deserve heaven because I'm a good person. No, no, no. I can walk into heaven because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is love. This is the fragrant aroma continually coming before our God and pleasing His nostrils. There's not a sweeter scent in all of heaven, Christian, than the fragrant aroma of the Lamb and His loving sacrifice. This pleases God. God is pleased with us because of Him. His wrath is withheld from us because of Him. This is love. Now my grandmother had a very distinct smell. She wore this very strong perfume. And what would happen? You'd give grandma a kiss or you'd give her a hug and then what would happen? The, the scent would then come off onto you and you'd smell just like grandma. <laughs> Christian, uh, if you have embraced the love of God, then that same smell, that scent ought to rub off on you. You ought to smell like him in the sense that your love ought to be sacrificial just like his. It should be evident that Christians, our love is very different from the love of the world. The love of the world is self-serving, self-pleasing. It's about what I want. It's about what I get. No, no, no. Christian, our love's completely different. We've got a different scent about our love. It is selfless like God's. It is sacrificial like God's. It's not about us and what we want. It's about others and what they need. That is the love of Christ. So this is the love we're to walk in. Let's get practical. Let's put some feet on this. Let's talk about tangible life things that we can apply this in. How can we walk in love just as Christ loved us? Three application points. I don't have them on the screen, but you can write them down. Number one is forgive. Forgive. Don't forget the previous passage that this is very much connected to. Don't allow the chapter, uh, the chapter divisions to deceive you into thinking that they're unrelated. You remember what we looked at last week. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Unconditional forgiveness is a fruit of love. This is Christ's love. So Christians, you have the ability and the power to forgive others. Because you can forgive them of anything because Christ forgave you of everything. So we, as Christians, we don't hold a grudge. We don't become embittered. But we forgive. And it doesn't matter how low the blow is. We forgive others, even our enemies, because Christ forgave us, his enemies. So maybe there's somebody in your life that you're struggling to forgive. Struggle no further. <laughs> Look at Christ and his love and forgive others the way he forgave you. Forgive. Number two, give. Give. And we don't just give when it's convenient. We don't just give when it's comfortable as Christians. We don't give expecting a return on our investment. We give sacrificially. We give unconditionally, just like Jesus 
And you don't just give what you have, you give yourself. You give yourself up. You give yourself to others, just like Christ did. The couple comes into the counseling office, and they're at each other's throats. But she, but he, and there's just no resolve. They're arguing back and forth. And finally, the husband, he's exasperated. He says, I don't get it. I've given you everything a woman could want. You have a nice house, a nice car, food on the table, food for the kids, all the clothes that you could buy, and the list goes on and on and on and on, and finally he stops. And with tears in her eyes, she responds, yes, John, you've given me everything except yourself. Christ's love is giving yourself. Not just the things you have, but yourself, laying your own life down for the other person, putting them first, giving up your time, your your comforts, everything for the sake of them. Give yourself wholeheartedly, unconditionally, sacrificially to your spouse, to your kids, to your church, to your friends. Give them the time that's most valuable to you. Give them the energy that's so precious. Give them those acts of service. Give them yourself. Jesus didn't just send money from heaven. (laughs) Didn't just send possessions from far away. He gave himself up. He became a slave for the sake of his people. Which leads me to the third application. Give and then sacrifice. Forgive, give, sacrifice. We see here that Christ's love is sacrificial. You understand that Christ's love came at a high cost. Cost him everything. Jesus laid aside his rights. He laid aside, or he veiled his own glory. He laid aside earthly comforts. Earthly recognition, earthly political power. He ultimately laid down his life for his friends. It was a great sacrifice. And our love should be the same. Christian, lay aside your pride. Lay aside your rights. Lay aside your comforts, your wants, your desires. Lay aside self-indulgence. Lay aside self-maintenance to a certain level. Make sure you're still putting on deodorant. Lay aside selfish aspirations. Lay aside the me time. Me time. I, you know, you hear that so often. Oh, I just need some me time. For, for what? For you? That's not Christ's love. Christ's love is selfless, sacrificial. Christ didn't have any me time. You know what his me time was spent doing? Praying to his father on his knees in prayer. Giving himself again and again to his father's will. Walking in love like Jesus is not just being ready for the big moment. All love sacrificially. You know, when the intruder comes into our home, you better believe I'm going to jump in front of that bullet. Or when I see the child out there, the bus is coming, you better believe I'm going to lay my life down for the sake of my kids. No, no, no. Christ's love, Christ's sacrifice was daily, hourly laying his life down. 
laying my life down, putting others before myself, giving my own rights up, giving up my comfort, giving up convenience. It's about them. It's about others. It's not about me. That was the love of Christ. And then it ended in him giving his life. But don't forget those three years when he gave every moment, every hour of his time for the sake of others. That is sacrifice and that is love. Let's get real practical. Fathers, fathers. This means that after a long day of work, making big sacrifices to provide for your family, you lay aside the desire to watch TV. You lay aside the desire to play video games, to lay down on the couch, to sleep, and you take the kids. Engage the conversation with your wife. Die to yourself. The day after work has just begun. And you lay down your rights. You, di- you lay down the perceived privileges that you think you've earned and you continue to sacrifice for your family. That's love. The love of Christ. And you do that because He loved you. Mothers, Raising and rearing the children is a thankless job. I know you don't get enough appreciation from your husbands, let alone the kids. I know they're ungrateful, whiny, they drive you crazy sometimes. But this means, mothers, when the going gets tough, your love grows stronger. Continuing to lay your life down for the kids, dying to those selfish desires, dying to the woe is me thoughts. Continuing, continuing to sacrifice for your family because Christ loved you. Singles and others. Every day the Lord puts people in your life to love. Coworkers, employees, employers, neighbors, classmates, strangers, family. It's easy to love them when it's convenient. It's easy to love them when it's comfortable, when it's reciprocated, It's easy to love a little and then retreat when the demand increases or they become difficult. I mean, you have no perceived obligations. You're single. Christ's love obligates you. Christ lived a life of singleness and sacrificial love. The God of the universe put every person he interacted with, whether it was a prostitute or a rich young ruler, he put them before himself. He put their needs before his own. He laid aside his comfort, again, his convenience, his perceived privileges, his self-indulgences, and he sacrificed himself for others. Will you do the same? Will you love sacrificially daily the way Christ has so loved us, the model that he set? Will you do the same with every person in your life, even the difficult ones? Oh, but Morgan, how can you love so selflessly and sacrificially when it's not reciprocated? When people don't love you back? How can you keep giving and giving and giving? Won't you just be empty? That's not fair for us to just keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. How can you expect me to serve them when they don't deserve it? How can you expect me to keep giving when they give nothing back? What if they don't want my love? What if they aren't worthy of my love? What if they have really, really hurt me? Believer, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us when we 
didn't deserve it, when we gave him nothing back, when we didn't want it, when we were absolutely unworthy of it, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? How much more are we as his children to love him in return? Continue to grow in following Jesus, imitating him, and walk in love. We can all grow each and every day in this area, can we not? Let me close in prayer. Father, help us to love others like you have loved us. It's a high calling. Sometimes feeling like an impossible task. How can we give ourselves so selflessly? How, how can we lay aside our, our wants, our desires, our, our own needs sometimes for the sake of others? Lord, we need to be reminded every day of how much you have loved us. And allow that love to motivate us to love one another sacrificially and selflessly. God, help us this week to put others before ourselves, to forgive, to give, and to sacrifice every day. We need your strength. To do this in our own efforts, it would just drain us. But to do this filled with the love of God, we will not be more fulfilled and more satisfied knowing that we're imitating the Savior. We're walking just as He walked. Help us to believe that and trust in that. To trust that your commands are good. That your word is like honey to our lips. That we would apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.